Once upon a time, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some seed fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant so that they didn't bear any grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It grew up. It produced a crop, multiplied 30, 60 and even a 100 times. And Jesus said, Let those who have ears, let them hear. Now many of us, I'm sure, recognise that story as the famous parable of the soils. It was told by Jesus so as to help people think about the level of commitment that he expects from them. Because, you see, Jesus doesn't want his followers to be like the rocky soil or the weedy soil. Jesus doesn't want his followers to be the sort of people who start out strong, but then they peter out over time. Jesus wants us to be with him for the long haul. Jesus wants us to be productive, to produce a harvest. And in that sense, it's a pretty sobering parable really because if you think about it every single one of those soils could be here this morning in morning church because you see except for the uh, the uh, the first soil which really didn't get much of a start all the other soils the seeds at least started it's what happened over time though that was the telling point now you see i've been here in dubbo for 17 years and over that time i have seen every single one of those soils. And by the grace of God, in, in DPC, we've had the excitement of seeing people become Christians. And we've seen the excitement of having them press on as Christians. And we've got the excitement of even people like Joanna um, reaching out in, uh, in uh, mission fields in Sydney and other places. We've had the excitement of seeing people from DPC go to Bible colleges. But for all that considerable excitement, there is also the sadness of knowing people who have simply fallen away. People who used to be so keen and apparently so on fire for Jesus. People who, like you, used to do so much in and around the church family. And yet now, I bump into them down the street and it's always so awkward and uncomfortable. Because it's not as if they're even going to another church. It's because the worries and the cares and the distractions of this world have withered and choked and seduced their faith from them. Now, I reckon you know people like that yourself. People who used to call themselves Christians, but now they don't. The point I want to make this morning, though, is what makes you think that you're going to be any different to them? Now, you hear this morning, which is terrific, but at one stage, so were they. What makes you think that you've got what it takes to go the long distance? What sort of soil will time show you to be? Now, 2 Timothy chapter 2 is a really helpful passage for us in this regard because it's in this chapter that the Apostle Paul points out to Timothy what it's going to take for Timothy to press on and be a good soil. And in that respect, verse 1 pretty much summarises the chapter. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. 
Now, last week we noticed that this is a letter written at a difficult time for the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul's stuck in prison. He's not expecting to come out of it alive. And worse still, lots of people are deserting him and deserting Jesus. And so last week in chapter 1, Paul urged Timothy to do three things. Remember that? To stay loyal to Jesus, to stay loyal to Paul himself, and to also stay loyal to Timothy's own church ministry. And you see, it's as if last week, having urged Timothy to stay loyal, this week in chapter 2, Paul now starts to explain the how-to of staying loyal. And he starts to flesh out just what's going to be involved in sticking with Jesus and being productive for the long haul. And he fleshes it out with, with six very vivid images, that of a soldier, athlete, farmer, workman, household vessel and a servant. Those six images form the backbone of this chapter and rolled together, they have got a lot to say to us this morning about what it is going to take for us to be good soil. Let's touch down on each one briefly. First one comes in verse 3. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one so serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Point's pretty obvious, isn't it? If you're an Australian soldier locked in a battle with a Taliban in Afghanistan, if you're nestled behind a rock with bullets whistling around your ears, you don't start to wonder what's on telly that night. You don't start to think about, gee, I wonder how the cricket's going. You don't break off to do some shopping or to do some housework or to make a phone call. No, no, what happens is that the importance of that conflict, the gravity of the situation that you're in, the, 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 the danger of the battle just totally engulfs your full attention. You are focused. You are undistracted. Otherwise, you're just not going to last. Now, that's Paul's point here. Paul's point is up front that being a Christian, it's, it's not simply hard work. It's warfare. We are not just simply work people. We are soldiers. For we are locked in a battle against forces of evil that will delight to get you to desert your post. And so don't be surprised when you come home from work, but you're especially tired and you especially don't feel like going out on those nights that Bible study group's on. Don't be surprised when you sit down to read the Bible or pray. Uh, don't be surprised that that's when the phone rings. Or suddenly there's a million other things that pop into your head and it's hard to keep focus. Don't be surprised that your school friends might give you a hard time for going to church. Don't be surprised that you're going to feel awkward at social events where the conversation and the jokes turn onto a topic that you feel uncomfortable over. We are locked in a war. There are forces of evil at work that want nothing better than to bring you down. So focus on that. Get that perspective right and keep your wits about you. Is Paul's opening point to young Timothy. And he follows it up with another image. That of an athlete, verse 5. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he doesn't receive the victor's crown. He doesn't receive that unless... He competes according to the rules. If you were to go to the next Olympic Games in Beijing and enter the 400 metre uh, race, for example, 
Can you imagine being halfway around the track and about the 200 metre mark, thinking how tired you are, and so therefore you're going to cut across the middle of the field and come first that way? That is just a stupid thing to do. That's a nonsense. You will be disqualified. And so even though you're fatigued, an athlete doesn't give in to that fatigueness by doing something dumb, doing something rash, doing something stupid. That's Paul's point here to Timothy. That going the long distance with Jesus will bring about fatigue and tiredness, but we're not going to use that to, as an excuse to make shortcuts. We're going to stick at it. We're not going to give in to dishonesty. No matter how tired we get, we're not going to give in to selfishness or immorality or greed or anger. We're just not going to give in to that because that would be so stupid. For we'll be disqualified from the victor's crown. And that's an eternal crown. And we don't want to miss out on that one. Images are coming thick and fast. Verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying. The Lord will give you insight. I remember once chatting to a farmer who uh, was telling me about one particular paddock that he always dread going out to work. It's because this was an, an especially large paddock. We're talking hundreds upon hundreds of acres in the one paddock. And so this bloke would tell me that when he'd go out to plough it, the first few hours, the first couple of days really, were just terrible and soul-destroying because you'd sit on the tractor hour after hour after hour and you'd come in at the end of a long day and this paddock is just so huge that it doesn't look any different. And you wonder what you've done all day. But you keep telling yourself, no, 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 I've been on a tractor, I've been working at it. And so you get up the next day and you do the same. That's the picture here. The hard-working farmer is the one who keeps at it. And that when things are happening so slowly that you don't actually wonder whether anything's happening at all, or when there's a drought on and it's really hard work, you just still keep doing it. Because you know that a crop is coming. And when it comes, you don't want to miss it. You want to share in its rewards. You're starting to get the feeling that staying loyal to Jesus is going to be hard work. Uh, we're only halfway through this chapter. He's only got through three images. And already he's starting to get the feel of what it's going to take to stay strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. Because sometimes we act, I think, as if being a Christian is no biggie and we're going to get to put our feet up and take it easy. Friends, you do that, you will not last. Going the long haul with Jesus, that's going to take some effort. And I don't know, maybe it's for that reason that Paul sort of breaks away from this string of images a little bit. He starts to talk about the effort he's put into his own ministry and he throws in an important truth so as to remind Timothy that it's actually going to be worth the effort. Look at verse 11. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. Hey, if we endure, we're going to get to reign with him. But if we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. He can't disown himself. The consequences of whether or not we stay strong in the grace of Christ Jesus, the consequences are enormous. It's going to determine whether or not we get to live and reign with Jesus Christ in the new creation. If we endure and stay strong, we will get to. But if we disown him, we won't. We will be disqualified. 
Now, in that context, verse 13 is a little unexpected, isn't it? Verse 13 is an interesting one. At first glance, it almost seems to contradict the one before it. I think, though, what Paul is getting at in that verse is that when he says that God will remain faithful, he's saying that God will remain faithful to himself. See, he cannot disown himself. In other words, God has promised to discipline and punish those who fall away. And he will. If we grow faithless, if we don't persevere in the gospel, if we disown God, he will disown us. And he's warned us about that time and time and time again in his word. And he will do it because he can't disown himself from those warnings, from the promises and the threats that he has made. All of which is heightening the challenge of a chapter like this. Because, friends, are you going to endure or are you going to fade? Are you going to go the distance or are you going to drop out? Because a lot is hanging on this. If you drop out, God will disown you. And you will not live and reign in the new creation with him. You up for that? Have you got what it takes to do that? Don't answer just yet. There's three more images. Next one's that of a workman. Verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And if you've ever watched TV shows like I don't know, Current Affair, you know that they always are running stories about uh, shoddy tradespeople, aren't they? You know the car mechanic who says he's changed the oil filter but who hasn't really? Uh, the TV repairman who reckons he's put new parts in but hasn't really? Paul doesn't want Timothy to be like that in the way he handles the Bible. Because remember, Paul has left Timothy in charge of a church at Ephesus and he wants Timothy to be a really skilled craftsman in that capacity in the way he handles the gospel. Because the thing is, a crook mechanic, they'll rip you off for a couple of hundred bucks and that's bad enough. But when someone is crook at handling the word of God, they're going to do an infinite more amount of damage because they're going to wreck people for all eternity if they do a bodgy job when they handle God's word. That seems to be what's happening at the time Paul wrote this letter, isn't it? As the verses go on, he actually mentions two people by name who are bodgy workmen. They're not handling God's words well enough. They've wandered from the truth and their false teaching, Paul says, is spreading like gangrene. It's rotting out other people's faith. And that's serious and Paul doesn't want Timothy to be like that. And I tell you, I read a passage like that and I feel the weight of it. And Paul and I and Al and Wayne, we, we need to hear what that verse is saying to us about the, the effort that we have to put into handling the word of God well. But there's an edge to it that we all need to hear. There's an edge to it that applies to every one of us because like, if you don't know your way around God's word, you're going to be in real danger of not going the distance. If you don't know your way around God's word either, then what's going to help you know whether I'm a bodgy workman, leading you astray, selling you bad parts? It's an important issue. We need to understand and be skilled at reading and, and following God's word. That's a really important lesson, but it's one we're going to return to next week. Paul's got a lot more to say about false teachers at the time. He's going to fill up the next chapter all about it. And so as important as this is, we're going to get back to it next week. So I want to keep going because there's two more images 
that Paul wants to draw on. Verse 20. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. The image now changes to that of household vessels. We're talking, you know, cups, bowls, that sort of stuff. And it is a little difficult to precisely get what Paul's getting at here, although it's pretty obvious that the bottom line is that it's about making ourselves holy so as to be useful to, for God. That's the goal of this image in mind. Here, look at the end of verse 21. It's all about being useful to the master and being prepared to do any good work. And so the way this image works is, is that it's picking up the idea that in any home, a, a bowl, a cup, a plate has to be washed all the time so it can keep being used. See, if you come to our place, you'll be pleased to know that we'll give you a cup of coffee in a clean cup. And once you've had that cup of coffee, we're not actually going to give it to anyone else after you until we've washed it. No offence to you. That's just the way it works. If something is to be continually and ongoingly useful, it's got to be continually and ongoingly cleansed. Well, that's Paul here. If you want to be continually and ongoingly useful for God, we need to be continually and ongoingly ridding ourselves of sin. And he even goes on and explains to Timothy some of the specific sins that he's got in mind for him. Look at verse 24. Flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Now you see, they seem to be quite specific things that Paul wants to remind Timothy of and they might be timely things for some of us to think through as well. For our purposes, though, it's the more general principle I want you to notice. That in order to stay strong in the grace of Christ Jesus, which is what the whole chapter is about, in order to stay loyal and productive and, uh, for, for Jesus, in order to, to be, go the long distance, we need to be working hard at being holy and getting rid of sin so that we can be ongoingly useful for God. And I'm not going to pretend that, that that may not be hard to do. It may be that you'll have to walk away from a friendship group that is just unhelpful to be in. It may be that you need to own up to something that you actually don't want to own up to and come to terms with. It may actually mean stopping doing something that you really enjoy doing, but you know it's wrong. Friends, if it's a sin, flee it. Cleanse yourself from it. That is the way that we are ongoingly useful for God. That is the way that you stay strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not interested in cleansing yourself from sins, you will not go the distance. One more image. Verse 23. And we'll keep reading past it. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant mustn't quarrel because he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. It's that phrase, the Lord's servant, that I want to 
draw, uh, uh, touch down on for this last image because he's rounding off the chapter with a reminder to Timothy of just who it is that he's answerable to. He's the Lord's servant. Timothy's a servant. That means there's a master and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, hey, Timothy, get straight in your mind exactly who it is that is giving you the marching orders of life in the way you conduct yourself, in the way you speak, in the way that you instruct people. It's not about pleasing others. It's not about pleasing yourself. It's about pleasing Jesus. And look, again, for Timothy, that's a really important lesson. Sounds like he was a young man. Sounds like he was leading a church that had some pretty big power breakers in it. And Paul is saying, just remember who you're serving in all of this. It's not them, no matter how intimidating they are. It's not you no matter what you might want to do. It's Jesus. So teach and instruct. Have your conversations. Deal with people from the perspective of pleasing Jesus. Not a bad thought to have, is it? We are to remember that we are the Lord's. He owns us. So we do what he wants. And so laziness to the kingdom, that's not an option. Disobedience to the king, that's not an option. Indifference to the kingdom, that's not an option. If we reckon we're one of Jesus' followers, then, then we follow him, don't we? we? We serve him. We do what he says. We do things his way. And if we're not doing that, then maybe we're having ourselves on that we're even one of his followers. And time will show that to be the case. Because you see, the productive follower of Jesus, the authentic follower of Jesus, the good soil that produces a harvest, the person who's going to go the long haul with Jesus, they see themselves as Jesus' servant. And the person who's going to go the long haul with Jesus, they have the undistracted focus of a soldier who is in battle. And the person who's going to go the long haul with Jesus, they have the self-discipline of a competing athlete, no matter how fatigued they get. The person who's going to go the long haul with Jesus, they have the strong determination of a hard-working farmer. The person who's going to go the long haul for Jesus, they value the word of God and they handle it like a skilled craftsman. The person who's going to go the long haul with Jesus, they get rid of sin the way you wash up a household vessel so it can keep being used. Now, does that sound like you? What soil are you going to be? What soil would you like to be? As Paul puts it, here is a trustworthy saying. Hey, do you know that if we died with him, we will also live with him? Do you know that if you do endure... You will reign with him in the new heaven and the new earth. That has got to be worth staying strong for. 